We're just going to pretend the music's a thing. Perf. People are stupid. Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial Season 5, Episode 22. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And I'm Andrew, pretending to be Pat. Just kidding, other <laughs> way around. Yeah, so no Andrew this week. Um, we did experience a few technical difficulties at the start of the show, but we've got it all figured out now. Pat, where is your beloved this week? He decided that he wanted to go to Antarctica, so he what? jumped on a boat and went down there. What was the purpose of this Antarctica trip? I thought he hated being cold. He really wants proof that the ice caps are melting. So he went to the <laughs> south one instead of the north one. It's really nice that he's taking one for the team so we can have firsthand reporting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to say he's doing more than the president is. Very, very, very true. You would probably go over there and say, I see, I still see ice caps. I don't see any melting. <laughs> yeah, I can see ice caps from my house. <laughs> Uh, no, but really, he's in Orlando right now for the new uh, ride at the Wizarding World, the Hagrid's motorbike creature adventure thing. So that opens. I think that's the actual name. Right? <laughs> but it looks super cool. And we're excited to hear uh, his take on all of it when he gets back. Uh, we were mentioning President Trump a moment ago. Did anyone keep up with him while he was in the UK? A little bit. I remember <laughs> hearing about him talking shit about their, was it the mayor, like right when he landed? Mm-hmm. And then all yeah. the stuff with the cat and then the baby blimp, stuff like that. But Yeah, Londoners trolled him really hard. And just like he always does, he tried to exaggerate uh, the degree to which the people over there love him. Um, there were photos of his sort of parade i guess where they took him to buckingham palace and nobody was there and yet that night there were just tens of thousands of people flooding the streets with signs and there were even like projections onto buildings showing president obama's approval rating versus trump's approval rating um so it was good stuff we we really appreciate all of you over there in london doing the hard work that needs to be done and I hear it was raining, so thank you. Yeah, seriously. Again for coming out to protest. Yeah, that is yeah. dedication. Yeah. All we need is that kind of voter turnout in our future elections. Pam, uh, something's got you itchy over there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, everybody knows that I have a dog, Jasper, and he is a indoor pup. For the most part, you know, he goes outside to go to the bathroom and he's out in the backyard a little bit, but not a lot. He mainly just chills inside. That's just his um, safe spot. And uh, we have some new neighbors that moved in and they have two dogs. And not a, not only are these dogs like bullies, like they just start viciously barking at him from over the fence. But also they brought fleas with them. So now my dog has fleas no. for like the first time ever. And I'm sure that any of you with pets that have ever gone through fleas, you know, it's like a whole nightmare because it's like one flea can just destroy your whole house. It's yep. 
awful. And I noticed it because I was like, oh, why are you itching? I was making dinner. I looked down because I heard like this thumping, you know, he was like itching. And then I saw like a flea jump out and I was like, no, 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 no. So I like stopped everything, (laughs) went down to the hardware store and bought a bunch of stuff to deflee not only the house, but also, you know, him. And it's just been like this whole process. And I'm sure it's it's going to take a while before I'm convinced that they're all completely gone. But yeah, we've been dealing with that. Is it common in Northern California to use like regular flea medication? I know it's a thing in the South. I think so. I, you know, since he's never really had a problem before, I kind of just went the safe route and I bought some, I think it's like just the hurt scarred drops, flea drops. Mm -hmm. So you put it on his back and he doesn't have to ingest anything. That was like the thing because I didn't want to make a a vet visit just for this. It didn't seem like it was that crazy. Um, So we opted for the drops for him. And allegedly, it's supposed to help for 30 days, and then we can reapply. So we're going to reassess after that. But yeah, it's so interesting, because I know, I mean, I imagine it's different there because of the climate. Um, But here, it's so warm most of the year that um, I have canela on flea preventative pretty much nine months out of the year. In the winter, I don't really bother with it. But when it starts getting warmer, she gets that stuff and she hates it because it stinks. But so do you do you is it like a drop a situation where you put it on yep. her coat or? Yeah, okay, you just cool. spread the fur and kind of apply it as directly to the skin as you can. Mm-hmm. And it's like once every 30 days and it, it does the trick. Yeah, I cool. think Andrew does the yeah. same thing with Brooklyn, too, most of the time. And I think he has some of those um, the flea collars, too, if there is an emergency. Like, just in case you see one or something, you can put a flea collar on him for a few days, but... Yeah, I might have to do that, but we'll see. Um, and then I also took him to uh, get a bath, and I'll talk about that in my recommendation, because I was really excited about <laughs> this turn of events. How did he do with that? Because Canela, like, even if I say the word bath, like, I just said it, and oh, she, yeah. like, she like sat up and looked at me like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, so she, <laughs> yeah, so he is the same way. Like, he definitely knows words like bath and food and do you want to go outside? But bath is the one where as soon as he hears me say it, like, if I just mention it in passing, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to give Jasper a bath today. His ears just go down and he like slinks away as quietly as he can and hangs out behind the couch. So, um, but he also associates most uh, pet food stores with people that will give him snugs and also give him treats. So he was fine until we got to the portion of the store where there were actual stalls so that you could wash your pet. And then he was like, no, 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 this looks way too familiar to what happens when we do this at home and I'm not about this life. And Pat, it sounds like you had an interesting weekend. Yeah, so I went to school and stuff for acting. I have an agent. They got me a gig for a um, a modeling gig audition for a hair show that's happening. Because there's this really famous hairdresser who does like all the hair for Sophie Turner like while she was filming Game of Thrones and everything. So she was in the city and was going to do this show. So I went to this audition that my agent had everything set up for. I get the emails like three weeks in advance being like, if you're going to do this show, you have to be okay with your hair being cut and you have to be okay with your hair being colored. 
everybody it's going to happen to. So if you don't want anything done, do not show up. So I go to this audition on Friday. Half of the room didn't want anything done to their hair. Wow. So it's like, why did you even show up, waste your own time and waste this lady's time who flew out here? She's from, I think, Scotland or something. So she flew to Chicago from Scotland to do this hair show and you just waste her time. So did you get the gig because nobody else read the instructions? (laughs) No, I didn't. They were only choosing one guy. So she really likes the texture of my hair, but the sides were too short. So Mm. I didn't get picked for it. But I mean, fine. It's part of the like entertainment world. You're just used to hearing no. So it wasn't a big deal. It was just I just it baffles me how much either people don't read or just don't care and think that maybe they might still get something. So did you get your hair done for free or did they not do your hair because you weren't selected? Right. Yeah, I didn't get anything done since I wasn't selected. I was going to say, that would be a bomb-ass way to get your hair done. I've done it before. It's really fun. Really? And you just get your hair done for free? Yep. Shit. Well, I need to find out how you do this. You should. The hair shows are so fun. Like, the last one I did uh, was about a year ago. And I just went, I sat on stage for an hour while she demonstrated different ways to cut, like, different areas of your head. And then she did a final cut in, like, style for me. I think I was paid, I think it was 500 bucks for me to sit on stage for an hour. Oh, damn. Sometimes smaller studios, this is, this sounds like a little bit flashier, but I know smaller studios around here, they'll have, if they're teaching salons, you can also apply to be a hair model for them. It's much, it's a much smaller affair, but definitely a good way to get, you know, a cheap or free haircut. You just have to be kind of open to what they're looking for. And they'll usually tell you too, like, oh, we're looking for a hair model, but you have to be comfortable with us cutting your hair super short or we're looking for a long hair model or we're looking for this, we're looking for that. Yeah, if you don't care about what's on your head since hair, I mean, it grows back super fast anyways. There, It's great, easy money for sure. Well, for anyone who's looking for a side hustle, definitely recommend that. Do people need to have an agent to do this, Pat? I've gotten all my gigs through my agents, but I'm okay. pretty sure, I mean, the postings go up on like casting websites and modeling casting websites all the time. So I'm sure anybody could find them. Good stuff. Uh, Before we move on to the rest of the show, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our patrons who are live streaming this episode with us tonight. Um, You can actually listen to our live streams by signing up to support the show over at patreon.com slash millennial. And on top of the live streams, there are a ton of other awesome benefits over there, including Palace Intrigue, in which we put up a couple of posts a month showing you some behind the scenes stuff and even just some things in our day to day lives. I recently put up a video of my dog howling her sob story to my boyfriend when we got home pretty late one night and she wanted him to know just how much she'd suffered. It's super adorable. Um, and very wholesome. Also, we'll have a new Landy coming up soon, the Laura and Andy show, uh, usually recorded on the weekends. And don't forget that you can sign up at the $10 level by June 30th to receive a handwritten letter signed by all three of the hosts, Andrew, Pam, and myself. So lots going on over at Patreon. Definitely recommend checking it out. And we appreciate everyone's support of the show. 
Now, before we move on to some emails, we're going to hear a quick word from one of our sponsors, BioClarity. BioClarity comes with everything you need to get clear, glowing skin and is one of those brands that just works. Their skincare line offers easy-to-use regimens with good-for-you ingredients that will give you great skin. I've been using BioClarity for well over a year now, and I swear by it. I used to struggle with clogged pores and blackheads in my T-zone, but after I started using the essentials routine from BioClarity for normal to dry skin, my face is smoother, clearer, and brighter. As I mentioned, I use the essentials routine. It comes with everything you need to nurture, hydrate, and restore your skin because it's packed full of detoxifying and calming nutrients, antioxidants, and a super special ingredient, Floralux from plants. You can only find Floralux in BioClarity. It's absolutely more than just a cleanser. It nourishes and soothes the skin as well. It also helps with redness, hyperpigmentation, and evens out skin tone and texture for a healthy glow. All this in three easy steps, cleanse, restore, and hydrate. My combination oily dry skin loves the hydrate step of this routine because it's like a green smoothie for my face. These products are 100% vegan, cruelty-free, paraben-free, sulfate-free, and artificial fragrance-free. On top of that, BioClarity offers a 100% risk-free money-back guarantee. Get healthier, more radiant skin by going to bioclarity.com. And right now, for our listeners, you'll save 40% on skincare routines plus an additional 15% off everything on their website. That's an incredible deal, but you'll need to enter our code MIL at checkout. So go to bioclarity.com and get 40% off skincare routines plus an additional 15% off everything on their website when you use our code MIL at checkout. All right, now we're going to move on to the mailbag and Pat, you have the first email. Yeah, so this first email is from Shelby. Uh, Shelby writes, Hey, so I just listened to the show where you mentioned a scam where people try to get you to send money by claiming they're the police with a warrant or have your loved ones. I thought maybe I could add to that so you can tell your listeners of other maybe lesser known scams. My brother, or my younger brother was on a dating site, OkCupid, and a woman started talking to him. They exchanged numbers And she was quite proactive with getting sexual and sent him naked pictures and asked him to send her pics, which he did. I know, right? Then he gets a phone call from a man claiming to be her dad and a private investigator who says she is underage. He feels like he's in trouble and they're going to get him arrested for soliciting to a minor or something. But they say they won't press charges so long as my brother sends them money to pay off the rest of her phone so then they can turn it off. And other reports have them asking for money to pay for therapy. What? This is insane. This email is so crazy. Jesus Christ. So she goes on and says he calls me and they end up talking um, to the cops who confirm that it is a new type of scam and that he did the right thing for not sending them any money. I hadn't heard of this scam before it happened to my brother, so we were a little freaked out about it. And another common scam that is is happening is being aimed at new renters. They'll take pictures of real listings and repost them as their own. So when you contact them, they'll say they're not in town for whatever reason to give a showing, but you can drive by the place and look at it. And if you want it, to send them the deposit, and they'll send you the keys. And Shelby then writes that she had a friend whose kid she was babysitting. They just moved into a new place, 
and she found a random guy trying to look at the place and was super confused that there were people living there. So she explained the scam to him, and he's pretty sure that that's what happened. Wow. That is crazy. Like the first, crazy. the first one that Shelby described with her brother, it's horrible, but it doesn't shock me. This second one is something I would have never thought of. Right. And now I've been looking at the Facebook marketplace since I'm selling some stuff for moving in with Andrew in a few months. And I notice apartment listings on there. So I'm wondering how legit some of those are since it's not through an actual Seriously. renter site. Yeah. I, um, when I moved to New York for a few months, uh, a few years ago to do an internship, I found my uh, place through Ghost Light Housing and, um, you know, talked to the girl a bit. It seemed cool and it wasn't until i got off the plane and was on the super shuttle to this place that i had a panic attack and realized that i had sent this person money and i had never met this person and she was already out of town because ghost light housing is like um, actually yeah that's what they call it now it used to be gypsy housing but they realized that that's not a pc term to use anyway so she she was uh doing a traveling show because it's it's for actors and actresses mostly people in the arts Um, But yeah, I had like a minor panic attack thinking, what if I got scammed and then I'm in this city where I don't know anybody and I can't go back home because I only bought a one way plane ticket. And what if I don't have a place to stay tonight? I was so scared. But thankfully, it all worked out. But yeah, it's it's super scary to be put into that situation. And it's really hard to, um, you know, because you want to trust people. You want to believe you have good judgment. Right. And like going back to the first one, I mean, dating is hard enough to begin with. And now to have to think that people are going to try to scam you for money while you're trying to find someone to be with the rest of your life, like, Jesus. Yeah. Or even if you're just looking, like, even if you're just lonely. Right. You know? Or even just wanting to hook up with someone. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think part of that is just that we're, you know, overall decent human beings and it would never occur to us to do something like that to somebody. Um, but it's still good to be aware of it. This apartment thing really freaks me out, especially because when I bought my place, the seller didn't even come around to collect the for sale sign for like a few weeks after I was already living here. And eventually I just went outside and picked it up and like hit it because I was like, I don't want people to think my place is still for sale. Yeah, right. Is that like, normal, though? Because it's so funny. These people that moved in next door, um, it was the same thing. Like, they had already full on moved in and the sign was still up. And I thought to myself, well, I wouldn't want that because when the house was for sale and vacant, there were people just coming by to, like, look at it, even though it wasn't being shown that day. And peeking into the backyard, which I thought yeah. was a huge invasion of privacy. Because it's not open to tour. Like Definitely. I literally saw this middle-aged couple, like the the husband was trying to boost the wife up so she could like open the latch to the backyard and go in and take a look. It's like, that's wow. so rude. Yeah. And I think part of that is too, I guess it's just slow moving to like get this stuff listed. But I've noticed even like if you're looking on Zillow or Redfin, they don't update their listings super quickly because, again, once I bought my place, it took like a full month to month and a half for that to be reflected on those websites. Oh, wow. 
I th- yeah. That's weird because like Andrews was basically immediately as soon as he put in the offer, it like switched to being like under contract or something, like whatever it switches to. So I wonder if maybe yeah. it's just the people who manage the listing suck. Yeah, you know, we're I'm down in the south and things just move a little slower here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for that, Shelby. We'll definitely uh, keep our uh, our ears. I was about to say keep our ears peeled, keep our eyes peeled um, for these kinds of scams. The next one comes from Sonia. Pam, do you have this one? Sonia writes, hey, guys, first off, love the show. I've been listening to you all since I was 12 years old and got my first uh, iPod video. So, so a long time. I was emailing about the conversation you guys had about the new Aladdin adaptation in your latest episode. As a person of Indian heritage who was born and raised in the United States, watching the original Aladdin, my favorite Disney movie. Here's the problem I have with the latest, a problem that has been discussed by many. Naomi Scott, who plays Princess Jasmine, is half white, half Indian, um, who on first glance looks like she's simply just gotten back from the Bahamas. To me, this is Disney half-assing the cultural heritage of this film at best. The fact of the matter is that not all brown people are the same kind of brown, nor are they interchangeable for one another. There are plenty of amazing Arab women actresses and fully Arab at that. For Naomi Scott to be cast, who is not only the blatant the blatantly wrong ethnicity, but only half brown at that seems like a real cop out by a company who made this decision strategically. In the episode, someone mentioned the Bollywood elements in the film, but this again is an example of mixing up cultures. It makes no sense for an Arab film to have Bollywood elements, as Bollywood is from India. Anyway, in the grand context of our world and its prevalent poverty, genocide, and famine, this is a fairly low priority gripe. Then again, I'd love to see some real representation rather than tokenizing or checking a box off the list in this most palatable way. Thank you all for the work you do. Sending lots of love your way. So the Bollywood stuff is something that I've definitely been thinking a lot about. I haven't seen the movie yet, but everywhere I look in the reviews, they talk about how cool it is that there are Bollywood elements. And I was like, wait, no, the song is Arabian Nights. It doesn't take place in India. <laughs> you know what? Why? And I, I do want to apologize to Sonia and everybody else that was a little bit offended by that because that was me who mentioned that. And I think that the reason that we feel like it's so normal is because by the time you get to the point where this really comes in super heavily, um, Arabian Nights was like the first song you heard. And then you're already at Prince Ali, which is like halfway into the movie. You know, and that doesn't like um, excuse it, but I think it is a testament to how the fact that we're still seeing a lot of these cultures represented through a Hollywood lens means that we're not fully educated in the different cadences and stuff like that. And so to to group um, different people from certain areas all together in a lump is not okay. And I really appreciate that Sonia emailed in actually because it's it's a good learning experience for me to just keep that in mind. Yeah, I know um, the NPR Pop Culture Happy Hour mentioned that Bollywood aspect of the the dancing in the one number two. And they were like, this makes absolutely no sense for the area that this movie is supposed to be taking place in. Right, Pam, I was going to say, you're not the one who put Bollywood dancing in the movie. 
Oh, I know. But sometimes, you know, I just kind of like feel bad because it's something that if I had done more research on it, maybe I would have noticed it. But but then again, it's one of those things where maybe more people should be talking about it in the mainstream. And that's why a lot of people don't realize it's not actually a good thing, even though it looks like a good thing. Yeah, I'm wondering if I mean, obviously, we don't know. We wouldn't know unless we talked to the writers and directors. I'm wondering if they maybe threw it in because they're like, oh, Agrabah's not a real place we can kind of make up our own thing for the story. But still, that's not, I don't think that's the the right excuse for it either. I also think it's geared towards an American audience. And oh, for sure. They, I mean, not saying that this was deliberate on the part of the writers to think that Americans won't know the difference, but it's kind of true. And it's not right. It doesn't make it okay, but I think that that's probably part of, you know, the kind of like mental calculus that happens when these kind of decisions are made just in terms of like what market they're gearing the film towards, which would also explain the casting of somebody like Naomi Scott. Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah. this is a, a problem, this idea of just showing the uh, silver screen portrayal of somebody that may or may not be from that region that the movie is based in is like such a huge problem because you don't realize that there are people that look differently. This happens a lot in Hispanic culture too, which is why it was such a big reason, uh, it's such a big deal that Roma starred uh, Yalitza Aparicio, who is um, indigenous, you know, she's an indigenous Mexican woman and a face that we don't often see in cinema. And um, same with like uh, Chinese cinema as well. I know this happens a lot when movies come over to the United States. Like we only see a certain type of Asian represented on screen. But, you know, um, I have hope that slowly but surely things will change. And I think that lately that hope is a little bit brighter just because you're seeing a yearning for different stories um, from the masses that that consume media. Like they want to see more people that are different or that maybe look like them or look like their friends. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and didn't Disney have some backlash, too, because they were darkening some of their extras on Aladdin? Yep. Mm -hmm. Which is why I think they're being a little bit more, I guess, cautious for Mulan to make sure that everything is, like, kosher across the board, I guess. And I was looking for that, too, because I remember when that story came out, um, I was looking at the background actors to see if I could spot anybody that looks like they were blatantly in brown face. Yeah, but, me too. And I, I mean, know. they did a good job of not, I didn't catch of hiding any, them. but yeah. <laughs> still. Which is not right. But... No, no, not at all. Well, as long as they don't try to cast Emma Stone as an Asian woman in Mulan. <laughs> or Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> yes, yeah, seriously. <laughs> All right, well, moving on to our last bit of feedback. This comes from our friend Lena. Lena says, I don't know if you plan on covering it on the show or if you yourselves are abreast, but in a nutshell, Sudan has been suffering from economic turmoil for decades, most notably after it split from South Sudan, where important oil reserves are located. The downturn hit an all-time low, though, when the president of 30 years announced tax increases, which tripled the price of bread. This, however, was the straw which broke the camel's back because it launched a protest movement which snowballed into an all-out revolt where the people band together and demanded that President Bashir step down as president. 
Long story short, the protests, which started out in December of last year, peaked in April and the military ended up removing him, which would have been great, except the military folk have taken over since and they're no better than the ousted president. If anything, they're a prominent branch of an old regime linked to corruption, violence and war crimes. So the revolt continued. There were negotiations between representatives of the protesters and the military to try and organize a transitional period before a civilian government could be installed. But when the talks hit a wall, the military started shooting at protesters and beating them. And there have been even reports of them raping women and hanging their underwear on poles as a scare tactic. They want to break the morale of protesters and revert to the old barbaric tactics used in the Darfur crisis. There's been very little buzz among the international community about this. Last I read, Britain and Germany have finally called for an emergency security council meeting at the UN. The Sudanese people are on their own, and I'm afraid there might be other Arab countries supporting the military to keep them in power and therefore maintain an influence on Sudan by bribing this guerrilla army. I tried starting a hashtag online, hashtag react for Sudan. But you know how these things go. If it's not a sexy subject, people just don't seem to care. And after Darfur and the civil war between the North and South, people just associate Sudan with death and destruction and so have grown immune. My father, being half Sudanese, would tell me stories about how we had to leave Sudan when I was two years old because of the situation the now ousted president had created. So naturally, all these years later, it made me so happy to think Sudan was finally on the brink of a democracy. Thoughts and prayers, of course, are appreciated, but I also wish to inform as many people as I can about these ongoing developments. So there you have it. Well, thank you for that update, Lena. Um, Sudan is definitely something that I know we were all pretty aware of, especially around the Darfur crisis in like 2000. It was like the 2006 to 2010 was, I think, where most of the news about that was coming out. And then was it in 2010 or 2011 where South Sudan became its own country? Um, But apart from that, I wasn't super up on what was going on there. I don't know about the rest of the panel. Um, Yeah, I think that it's it's especially interesting because like you mentioned in your email, like Laura was saying, um, Darfur was very heavily covered stateside for us and I have not heard much about this so it's interesting that it's not being prioritized it sounds like in many other parts of the world yeah Yeah. I had the exact same thoughts as Pam as well like I remember for a while some like the, the NPR politics podcasts were covering it but I haven't heard anything really about Sudan in a while Yeah. Well, thank you for reaching out and giving us, you know, some bite-sized coverage to share on the show. And we would certainly love to hear more as there are more developments. So please keep writing in. Now we're going to move on to some news. Pam, you have the first story of the week. Yeah. Let's talk about our favorite former first couple, Barack and Michelle Obama, who have been keeping pretty busy these days, even though they're not in office anymore. Uh, They're actually gearing up to get into the podcast game. Surprise, surprise. So uh, they have officially inked a multi-year deal with Spotify where they'll be be producing a series of podcasts set to be released exclusively via the streaming platform. 
Um, the upcoming podcast slate is actually being produced under the Obama's Higher Ground Audio Banner, which is a new division of their production company, Higher Ground Productions, which they launched last year. And in addition to developing and producing, they're also going to be getting in on the action. At least it sounds that way from the press release that was sent out. Uh, they'll be lending their voices to select podcasts as part of the new deal. So I know all of you guys are wondering, like, what are Barack and Michelle going to be bringing us weekly, monthly, whateverly on these new podcasts? And unfortunately, we don't know too much about that yet. But word on the street is that the podcast will focus on a wide range of topics. And it seems to be the case based on their statements as well. Uh, when they announced this, uh, both uh, Obama's talked about the importance of elevating voices that are not often heard. So it sounds like they're really going to be using these platforms to to do more of that. So this is actually uh, the podcast deal is in addition to their big Netflix deal, which went down last year. And they actually just released the slate of what they're going to be producing as far as Netflix originals earlier this year. So if you're interested in checking out some of those titles or reading more about that, you can actually head over to hypable.com where we wrote that up as well. So I wanted to bring this up because I think this is something super interesting, especially since we all are avid podcast listeners ourselves and we obviously like do podcasting this I mean it's nothing new that people that have larger platforms are suddenly starting to realize like mm, maybe I should get into podcasting but it's interesting that the Obamas are are doing this at least in my opinion what do you guys think oh I agree but I can think of no better place for them I think that they will be able to leverage their audience in a way to amplify those voices like they said um, in a way that'll be really meaningful. I'm also super excited to add it to my repertoire of podcasts that I listen to regularly. Um, I also want to find out like how we can get them to plug millennial. So maybe they'll have a recommendation <laughs> section we can uh, yeah. <laughs> submit yeah. ourselves humbly to. Yeah. And then Barack will listen to us and hear us talking about butts and be like, nah. Right. Be like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> I think it's really cool. I just don't like that it's going to be exclusive to Spotify because I don't like Spotify and I don't use it. Hmm. Really? See, I use Spotify, so I'm cool <laughs> with this. Yeah, I love Spotify. Oh, I What's hate your beef it. with Spotify? Well, a part of it is because I tried it back in like 2012 or 13 and they didn't have everything that I wanted to listen to. So I got mad and gave up and just went back to iTunes. That's understandable. I mean, I'm sure um, it's way better now, <laughs> but now I'm just like well, in, I use Apple Music, I pay for that, so I don't need to pay for Spotify then, and I'd just rather have sense. one app rather than downloading another app. I feel you. I, you know, I'm the kind of the opposite because every t I really like Zane Lowe as an interviewer, and his radio show is on Apple Music, so I'm constantly trying to justify having two subscriptions but it doesn't make sense so I just stick with Spotify and watch the Zane Lowe highlights other places oh. but but I feel you um I do think that this is interesting though too because you know all of these like the bigger news surrounding these deals come on the cusp as well of Apple announcing their slate for Apple TV and Apple might have Oprah but Netflix and Spotify have the Obamas so yeah, I'm wondering, do we know if for Spotify, you'd have to be a paid subscriber to listen to it or that you could just 
Like anybody could listen to it for free. So the language in the Variety article, which is where I first saw this pop up, was um, not super clear on that. But they said something like it would be available to uh, ad supported and not non ad supported streamers, which I think means that just anybody can download Spotify and listen to the Obamas. And I feel like that's how they would want it. Yeah, personally yeah so it makes sense to me that it would be available regardless of whether or not you fork over money every month yeah i think it should be i also wonder if they'll be doing actual shows or if they're just going to be producing the shows so they will be doing some shows it sounds like oh, okay. because yeah it said that they'll be lending their voices to select podcasts so whether that's just producing certain segments if it's a multi-segment show i imagine we'll be hearing from them personally too that would be so cool just to hear them interviewing other people and stuff like that. I would I would just love just to hear their voices, really. I know. So comforting. I know. Both of them. Who knew this was going to be the feel-good story of the, of the episode? <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on that? I don't think so, no. but we'll keep you guys posted based yeah. on what else comes out of this because I think it's super interesting. Yeah, when it happens, we're going to be reviewing it here on this show. Mm-hmm. So you'll hear more about it for sure. For sure. Um, on somewhat of a similar vein, you know, it's like political. This is like all politically adjacent. The Pew Research Center has another study that I want to look into today. And they have recently provided a glimpse of what the 2020 electorate is going to look like. This is super pertinent because like it or not, election season is gearing up. Um, I know it's exhausting because here in the States, our campaigns last for freaking ever. Uh, We have the first Democratic debates happening at the end of June. So these are numbers that are going to be really interesting to look into and kind of see how we think they're going to impact us next year. So in terms of demographics, some of the main takeaways are that there are actually going to be more Hispanic than Black eligible voters. Uh, 2020 is set to be the first time Hispanics will make up the largest block of minority voters. There's also been steady growth in terms of the numbers of minority voters across the board. So in 2020, we're predicted to have 32 million Hispanic, 30 million Black, and 11 million Asian eligible voters. And in 2020, one in 10 voters will have been born outside of the U.S., which is the highest this number has been since 1970. Wow. So, yeah, some really big changes coming up in 2020, just in terms of the demographics alone. So when it says eligible voters, that's not necessarily everybody who's registered, correct? Correct. Okay. So that's just people who could vote if they wish to. Oh, okay. Um, One of the examples that they brought up is even though there will be more Hispanic voters eligible than Black voters, historically, Black voters are more likely to turn out and vote. So just because one group is larger in terms of eligibility doesn't actually mean that'll translate to turnout. Um, But a lot of the turnout, I think, is going to be dictated by what sorts of issues we see presented in the campaigns. Um, Something else to bear in mind is that in 2020, nearly a quarter of the electorate, or around 23%, will be ages 65 and older, which is the highest percentage of that age group since 1970. So we have this interesting, I don't want to call it a dilemma, but this interesting trend going on where 
we sort of have both groups of eligible voters that sort of tend to align with one side of the aisle or the other. Both of those groups are growing. So I feel like this makes 2020 even more of a toss up. I think anybody who thinks that any one particular candidate has 2020 in the bag, um, I think they're not paying enough attention because I think it's going to be an incredibly close election. All of that said, though, when it comes to boomers, Pew anticipates that only four in 10 of eligible voters will be baby boomers, which is a pretty significant drop off from 2000 when that number was seven in 10. Hmm. On top of that, one in 10 eligible voters will be from Gen Z. So the generation right after us, I think they're the generation who's going to save us personally. Yeah, at this point, I 100% agree with that because they seem to at least have more, I guess, of a non-bias finger like on the pulse of everything, whereas the millennial generation were very much like, no, we we are kind of like set in our ways and what we want to think. And we, I guess, weren't taught, I don't know, the proper ways to like research candidates and stuff like that, where because of all the turmoil that's happened over the past, I mean, beyond the past two years, I think all of the Gen Zs really know like what to look for and how to properly vet somebody. And I think a lot of that also has to do with the fact that Gen Z is really the first uh, generation that's really grown up fully with the internet. Yeah, yeah. Because we got it like halfway through our childhood, maybe. Um, So yeah, I think that that makes a really big difference that they really grew up when the internet had like basically evolved almost into what it is now. And that is just, it, it just breeds, it's a, it's a better ground for breeding interconnectedness amongst different cultures. And I feel like that really helps. Yeah. And I think they yeah. have a better, I guess, communication maybe with their families. Cause like now it's not cool to hate your parents anymore. You know, like kids want to be friends with their parents and they actually talk about things. Like I can use myself as an example. My family never talked about politics growing up, which I realized like in this article, my dad is like right at the end of the boomer section. And my mom is part of what is Gen X right after that. Yeah. So like my Mm -hmm. dad's a boomer. My mom is Gen X, but we never talked about it. And I will fully admit that I was a moron when I was 18 And I didn't vote because I was like, I don't know anything about it. I don't feel like I should vote. And that's when Obama first went in office. And I know I should have voted then, but because my family never talked about it and we never discussed politics, I didn't really think it was important. So now I think that Gen Z's have, everybody's been talking about politics for so long now because it's been way more in the forefront of people's minds lately, I think. I also think, and and you guys can let me know what you think of this interpretation. I think some of it, not all of it, but some of it could boil down to who our generational boogeyman is. Mm-hmm. So like for millennials, our boogeyman was Osama bin Laden. Yeah. Right. And just like terrorism in general. For this generation, it's the active shooter. And... They've actually confronted their boogeyman face-to-face. Yes, we lived through 9-11, but many of us were not, like, actually there. So we grew up with this sort of, like, 
abstract threat that was kind of hanging over our heads, whereas this group of kids are growing up with a direct threat that they face potentially every day when they walk into their classroom. Yeah, they, their their boogeyman is spread out throughout the entire country, whereas ours was focused on two areas in the U.S. that were attacked and then overseas. Right. So most of the country, we didn't actually experience it firsthand. And I think also um, one of the things that makes this new generation so interesting is they are on track to be the most racially and ethnically diverse voting bloc ever. Um, So they're set to be 55% white, 45% non-white, 21% Hispanic, 14% black, and 4% Asian Pacific Islander. You can compare that to eligible baby boomers, and they're 75% white. That's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, I know millennials are obviously more diverse than baby boomers, but Gen Z is just such a direct contrast. So non-white percentage is particularly interesting to me because it Mm -hmm. it kind of shows what um, we've been predicting for a really long time, which is that there's going to come a point in United States history, because we've always been what people call a melting pot, where you're going to see more biracial citizens Mm -hmm. than you are like people that are one or the other. Right. Exactly. And also, as it relates to millennials, 2020 will be the first time that millennials will represent a slightly smaller share of the electorate than they did in the previous election cycle. It's not very much. And Pew says that that's because millennials have already peaked. So... Take that one home with you guys. Millennials have peaked. (laughs) Something else to talk to my therapist about. That's right. That's something else. Something else we're doing wrong. There will be another like time article soon or something. Millennials are ruining voting. Um, And all of these numbers are super encouraging, but I do want to encourage people not to get too optimistic because in 2016, boomers made up a smaller share of the electorate Uh, 43%, but they actually accounted for 49% of the vote. Mm -hmm. So that's a perfect example of how you may not be the largest demographic on the board, but voter turnout is everything. And voter turnout was one of the biggest problems in the 2016 election. So I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on what issues we think might impact turnout knowing these numbers. Um, I can talk about my main topic, and I'm going to say that's impeachment. I think if Democrats don't act, it will depress the momentum we got in 2018, because many of those voters went out and voted for Democratic representatives in direct, uh, in sort of like direct contrast to Trump. They wanted somebody there to check him. And there are even a number of these candidates who were elected. And part of their platform was that they were going to impeach Trump. And if they're going to act on that, now is the time to do it. My other fear is that uh, if they don't act, I don't think that the Democrats have a candidate who can stand in a room with Donald Trump without Donald Trump sucking all of the air out of it. Whether he's right or wrong, that's what the man does. Yeah. And really, in order to face him, we need another Barack Obama. (laughs) That's what we need. And we don't have it. So Democrats need to leverage 
everything that they have in their arsenal and stop being so afraid of what's going to happen in 2020. Because if they think that they have 2020 in the bag right now, they're insane. Yeah, I have a question with impeachment because I am still Mm -hmm. like personally, I'm still like on the fence about it. I don't know what is the best option to do. Like, I feel like starting the impeachment process is great, but I wouldn't actually personally want him actually taken out of the off like out before the election but if he wouldn't be right if yeah if the process starts is he still allowed to run for next term to my knowledge yes okay and my my thought here is that you know the house begins the impeachment process but it's up to the senate to convict right the senate's not going to do that because it's gop controlled but by opting to go the impeachment route, the Democrats do a couple of things. One, they damage his campaign. Yes. Because the entirety of the time that he's campaigning, he's going to have impeachment hanging over his head. And that will hurt his numbers. We don't know to what extent, but it would hurt them somewhat. The other thing is that they'd just be doing their jobs. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking. Like, if they can actually start the process... Of everything, then that's great. Because my fear would be that if he was actually taken out of office, that that would give Pence the opportunity to make a really good name for himself and establish himself for the GOP to then, I don't know if he can even do it because I'm not that smart with it, but maybe he would have a better chance of actually getting in as president next term if he can get everybody in the... um conservative side to really like him yeah it's hard to know for sure because i think pence is definitely he's the more palatable right republican to that party nowadays i mean of course you know we think he's reprehensible but history would tell us that a pence run in 2020 would probably not go well like we can look at what happened with uh gerald ford for example like he was a one-term president and, you know, hit sort of like Nixon's uh, stink never quite washed off of him. Oh, okay. So that's that's kind of what I'm thinking with Trump. Again, uh, there are no rules anymore. So it's <laughs> really it's really hard to predict what will happen. Um, but I feel very strongly that the House has a constitutional requirement in their job description to defend American democracy and to defend the Constitution. And I think if they are declining to do that in favor of potentially upping their odds in 2020, they're playing politics and they're not actually doing their job. Yeah. That's why I'd like to see it all start, at least. Mm-hmm. I also think that it's a mistake to only think about 2020. Yeah. I hear a lot of hemming and hawing from people who are like, oh, but if we do this, it'll increase, you know, Trump's base's energy for 2020. And it might do that. But there are going to be other elections after that. And if the Democratic Party has to run from its legacy of standing by and doing nothing while an autocrat was in power, they're going to lose way more elections than just the 2020 one. Yeah, which I think is a good point to bring up, too, is that I feel like the millennial generation votes for the future 
whereas a lot of the past generations vote for the now. And I'm hoping that if we mm. can keep thinking about not only the 2020, but then 24, 28, like keep going on and actually project what we want for our vote to be out that far, it'll be a lot better for the country. Do you guys have any issues that you think are going to sort of dominate the 2020 stage in terms of, you know, serving as deciding factors? I think abortion is a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now. Um, yeah. And also just like a lot of um, these human rights, this, it, human rights issues in general, um, trans rights, uh, LGBTQIA plus rights, all of that is kind of taking center stage right now specifically. And I would not be surprised if we hear more of that pop up as we get into debate season as well. Yeah, I think immigration too, for a lot of the same reasons that Pam just mentioned. And there was a really interesting statistic that came out of Gallup from 2018. Um, They reported that 75% of Americans think immigrants are good for the U.S., which is a huge jump compared to just 31% in 1994. Wow. And I mean, that just goes hand in hand with these changing demographics that we discussed earlier. I'm really excited to see, you know, how right we are (laughs) or how wrong we might be uh, as we get closer to the 2020 election. But I thought these were just some interesting numbers for us to chew on and consider when we think about, you know, what we what we think will or won't happen next year. I still kind of think it's a big toss up at this point, and I'm not willing to make predictions. So watch the space. And Pat, you had a lighter story for us. (laughs) Yeah. So when I got into work this morning, I was like, I'm bored. I hate my job because I still don't have a new one. I'm going to check Twitter. And what do I find? That Justin Bieber decides he wants to challenge Tom Cruise to a fight. So he tweeted, I want to challenge Tom Cruise to a fight in the octagon. Tom, if you don't take this fight, you're scared and you will never live it down. Who's willing to put on who's willing to put on the fight? And then he tagged Dana White, who's apparently some fighter whatever. Uh, like what is going on? Like what why is this something that <laughs> It's just being put out there. And, and and then the fact that Conor McGregor is like, oh, yeah, if if Tom accepts, my company will will host this. So we have all yeah, of these celebrities like, I just don't understand. Well, I heard celebrity death matches making a comeback, but I didn't think we were going to get in <laughs> real life. So, <laughs> But first I'm like, OK, so what is... Justin Bieber on that he's all of a sudden trying to target Tom Cruise. We all know that Tom is a little crazy to begin with. Yeah, I just don't get it. Maybe he's been watching, in all seriousness, maybe he's been watching too much YouTube. These YouTube boxing matches were a really big thing last summer. Yeah, like that. So maybe he fell down a rabbit hole. Yeah, with the Paul brothers and KSI and Deji. And then there were, I think there was like another one, but that was like the big, big one. And like, in all seriousness, like we all know Tom Cruise is a little nuts, but he's also kind of a badass. Like he learns how to do one epic stunt for every movie that he does. So he could kick the shit out of Justin Bieber, I feel like. Also, I thought Justin Bieber was taking, you know, well-deserved R&R break to focus on his mental health. 
Yeah, and he got very religious, started going to church all the time. You'd think that would sort of maybe make him a little peaceful, and now he wants to fight someone? I just, I don't understand. Am I, is this just because I'm disconnected from pop culture? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, I think everyone's like, Justin, what are you doing? The last thing I remember hearing about him was how he got a DUI when he was here in Atlanta. Oh, when was that? I didn't even hear that. I feel like that was like three or four years ago. Oh, because I know he got married to that one Baldwin. Haley. Yeah, Haley Baldwin recently. I can't imagine being married to Justin Bieber. Right. (laughs) It sounds awful. (laughs) Uh, It's just like I it's very like for as heavy as all of our other conversations were today. I'm like, this is just strange. This is so unexpected. I know. So, so strange. Where did this even come from? This is like, what the fuck news? Yeah. Yeah, basically. And I'm like, I tried looking through Justin's like other tweets to see if there was any other mention of Tom Cruise at all. I couldn't find anything. So this literally just came out of nowhere. So odd. Well, we'll definitely keep people updated on this. Um <laughs> <laughs> Pat, if they end up doing it, do you want to help us host a breaking news? Oh, my God, yes. (laughs) Can you be the commentator? I would love to do a live. That would be the first fight I ever watched in my life. And I would commentate the shit out of that if I could. All right. Well, you've heard it here first, guys. If this ends up happening, we'll make it into a breaking news benefit. You can ask Andrew and his brother when they would play... um, Uh, Super Smash Bros, because I don't like the game. So I would sit in the corner and like cover my mouth and be like, ooh, Ryan just slammed Andrew's character right in the nuts. And then he threw him off the edge, (laughs) like just ridiculous things like that. So I entertain myself that way. Well, uh, we'll keep an eye on this for sure. Before we move into some recommendations, uh, Andrew is apparently going to drop in for a quick word from one of our sponsors. Hey everyone, sorry I'm missing this week's episode. I wanted to jump in to tell you about this week's new sponsor, who are actually making me wish I was back at home right now, Brooklinen. No, not my dog, though they were born out of Brooklyn, New York. Brooklinen makes luxury linen sheets and robes without the luxury markups. They are the go-to place for bed linens. Oh my God, Pat and I have been sleeping on Brooklinen sheets since March, and we absolutely love them. Their sheets and duvets offer light, breezy, and soft comfort. They are smooth sheets. They are the comfiest sheets I've ever had. They were founded in early 2014 by a husband and wife who were sleeping in a fancy Vegas hotel one time and said, why can't we have this type of comfort at home? Then they went home and they looked at the prices. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. So they went out and made sheets that you would expect to find in a luxury hotel. They were actually the first DTC bedding company, meaning they work directly with manufacturers and customers. So there's no middlemen, meaning you get excellent prices and service. Comfort aside, they have some gorgeous sheet designs. I could not pick which design I wanted when I initially ordered. And then I was looking at their sheets for the first time in a few months the other day, and they recently introduced several new designs. They have a couple sheets that are blue and white, and I'm ready to order another set because they are stylish yet quirky, and of course, comfortable. It's in their name, so you know it's good. Brooke Linen's newest linen collection is amazing. I couldn't recommend their products more for graduates, newlyweds, friends or family, or treating yourself to the bedroom upgrade you deserve. And you don't have to just take my word for it. 
Brooklinen's got 35,000 five-star reviews. That's more than any other online betting company out there. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for our listeners. Get 10% off and free shipping when you use promo code M-I-L-L at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all their sheets, comforters, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. The only way to get 10% off and free shipping is to use promo code M-I-L-L, as in you will feel like a million bucks in these sheets, at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code M-I-L-L. Brooklinen, they are the best sheets ever. And Pat, you've used these sheets as well. Yeah, I really like them. They are such good quality sheets. I sleep incredibly well in them. They are also very, like, they breathe very nicely, so you don't overheat when you're in bed. Um, I've, like, washing them and everything, they've come out of the washer and dryer, like, so nice. Like, I have these cheap IKEA sheets come out of the dryer super wrinkly. These ones are just super smooth right away. And they come in a cute little, like, special tote bag. It's really fun. Nice. Well... Next time I have to buy sheets, I know what I'm doing. They're very, very nice. endorsements over here. All right. We can go ahead and move into some recommendations now. I would like to recommend Overtone for touching up hair. This is probably something y'all have seen advertised on your Facebook and Instagram feeds. It's this highly pigmented shampoo and or conditioner um, that you can put over hair that's already been lightened to some degree and then it'll literally deposit that color onto your hair i got their intense blue i think it's called to touch up the blues in my hair because i just don't really have money to drop at the salon right now and i just wanted to try this out um i just foiled a few pieces into the top of my hair sort of like from my crown Um, So that I could still have a little bit of dimension and like variance in the color. So now I have this really lovely like dark blue layer on top and then lighter blue from my old color underneath. And it looks so nice. Um, And it was pretty cheap. It was like 30 bucks. And it's a really decent sized container of this conditioner that I didn't really have to use very much of to get what I wanted. So Good stuff. Nice. I've heard of it before and I've wanted to try it, but I also don't want to like bleach my hair again. So I haven't ever tried it yet. Yeah. Well, since your hair is lighter, it would probably take the color okay. Hmm. Um, it's just like for me, because I have dark brown hair um, and all of the blue in my hair is literally on top of bleach. Like my hair is like, I look like trailer trash when they take the color <laughs> off my hair. Cause I have these like dark roots and then like yellow blonde, like straw hair underneath. Um, so the color takes really well to that, but you're like blondish. Yeah. Pat, sort of. So yeah, it would, it would probably work. It's just like, it lasts longer. The less you wash it so it would just depend on how much you did that how long would you say it lasts normally um i haven't washed my hair since i did it so i'll update you okay (laughs) (laughs) i'm a heathen and i only wash my hair like once every two weeks oh see i put like the pomade in my hair and then i work out so i literally have to like shampoo every day Mm. see dry shampoo is my best friend (laughs) 
Pam, what about you? Well, as teased in shooting the shit, I would like to recommend Pet Food Express's self-service pet wash because after I realized poor little Jasper had fleas, I was going to pay to take him to a dog salon. Um, They're kind of expensive and he's a little guy. And as I was researching on Yelp where to take him, um, Pet Food Express washed up and turns out you can just take your dog there and pay to wash the dog yourself, which is really great because the power on the hoses is like gentle enough for the dog. So he's not in pain, but also like, you know, powerful enough that you're just really kind of power washing his body down, which is what he needed. Uh, So I really enjoyed that. It didn't break my back either because it's up high. So I didn't have to like crouch over to give him a good scrub. And it's 15 bucks for 25 minutes and it has everything you need. There's like conditioner, shampoo, regular water, and then there's like a blow dryer if you want to dry them off. They have like unlimited towels and yeah, it's really great. I'm looking Pet Food Express up right now to see where they have locations. No, it's it I really enjoyed it. It was Awesome. Oh, and they also have like aprons so that you don't get wet when you're washing your dog down and stuff like that. It was so great. 10 out of 10 would recommend. I'm going to go back. That's awesome. Looks like it's a California thing only. Oh, no, that's too bad. Well, if you're in California, take advantage. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring I'll bring Canela to California for a $15. Yay, wash. Jasper can have a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, this is your chance. You can start it in Atlanta. Start the business there. Oh, there we go. I'll just open up my home and let people come bring their dogs into my bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it sounds like one of those scams. Right? <laughs> <laughs> bring your dog to my house for a wash. Just give me a $300 deposit. State-of-the-art <laughs> facilities. <laughs> and uh, you had a recommendation as well, Pat. Yes, yeah, so... My recommendation is using a KitchenAid mixer, or I guess really any mixer that you have, to shred chicken. I've been making like big batches of chicken for Andrew or myself, and then I like freeze portions of it just so it's super easy to pull stuff out. And I got really tired of like taking two forks and shredding it all by hand. And I had heard, I think I saw it on Instagram or something, somebody just throwing the cooked chicken breasts into your KitchenAid and turning it on and just walking away. So I tried it. I did four chicken breasts in my Instant Pot. So that took like 10 minutes to cook. And then I just dumped all four of them right in my KitchenAid, turned it on. Everything was perfectly shredded within five minutes, which I know it would have taken me at least 15 or more to shred it all by hand. So nice little life hack. That's great. Yeah. And I was like, why have I never thought of this before? Because I've used my KitchenAid to like make meatballs like together just so you're not getting your hands all in it. I could just throw all the ingredients and mix it that way. So I'm going to try this to shred everything. I hope it'll work on like a pork roast. I don't know other things that you could shred. Maybe like a spaghetti squash if you're vegetarian. I don't know. (laughs) But... Try it. It's a great hack and it works so, so well. Awesome. 
Well, before we wrap up today, we just wanted to give another plug for Patreon and also to thank all of our current patrons for their support. By signing up over at patreon.com slash millennial to support the show, you'll gain instant access to benefits like face-to-face, breaking news, the classics like hashing it out, and Mega Millennial. Uh, Mega Millennial is the main show ad-free combined with After Dark for nearly two hours of Millennial every week. You also get early access to each episode by being able to listen live as we record, just like all of y'all listening with us right now. Uh, You'll also get a completely unfiltered version of the show by doing this, and you'll be able to do things like listen to our technical difficulties on air or listen to us pause for ad reads because (laughs) Andrew's going to be dropping them in later. Um, While you do all of that, you can also sound off as we chat via our Discord. In order to follow us week to week, you can check us out over on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Username over there is Millennial Show. And what do we have coming up on After Dark, guys? AMA! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we posted for your questions over on the Patreon, and we're going to be doing an Ask Us Anything. There is a slew of different topics in here. And we're going to try to get through all of them to the best of our abilities. But if we don't, I promise we will use these again in a future episode of After Dark. That's all we've got for this week. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And I'm Pandrew. (laughs) I thought for a minute you were mixing my name with Andrew's and I got confused and I remembered that you are also a P with like a hard P sound at the beginning. I was like, what? (laughs) <laughs> maybe i should have said andrick <laughs> and wrapping us up this week this is a note from the doc it says since it's pride month this is the gay anthem of 2019 a little bit alexis is that what it's called yes from Shit's creek all right we'll see you next time guys bye bye let's do it I'm a Lamborghini, I'm a Hollywood star, I'm a little bit tipsy when I drive my car. <laughs>